Tech Talk with Jess Kelly. With VMware. Free your employees to work more securely from anywhere. Visit exertis.ie forward slash VMware. This is News Talk. Hello and welcome to Tech Talk. Jess Kelly with you here on News Talk. Coming up over the next hour, we'll hear about Irish digital bank Moneyjar, which wants to help you manage your money. Plus, Anodi of Silicon Republic will tell us about future human and bringing tech talents to town. If you want to get in touch, you'll find me on Twitter at JessKellyNT or you can email techtalk at newstalk.com, which Sorka Flynn did to ask about smart meters. She says, Hi Jess, are smart meters a good idea? I've been told my meter is getting smart, but I'm a bit suspicious about the pitch and I don't fully understand how it all works. Well, who better to demystify all of that than Dara Cassidy of Bonkers.ie. Uh, Dara, welcome back to the show. Hi Jess. Um, let, let's start at the very, very beginning. What is a smart meter and is Sorka right to be a bit suspicious? Um, she's maybe right to be a bit suspicious, but I do think in general smart meters are a really, really good idea. We have smart light bulbs, you have smart TVs, we're all about the smart home, why wouldn't you have a smart electricity meter? But just to talk about what a smart meter actually is, it's the next generation of electricity meter and it uses a 2G signal to communicate with your electricity supplier and the main benefit of that, or the first main benefit, is that your meter is able to be read remotely so people might know at the moment unless you submit a reading um, every month or every two months to to your electricity supplier some of your bills will be estimated and some of those estimates can be wrong in which case you end up spending more for your electricity or less uh, which is never a good thing but with smart meters you're able to, and um, your meter can be read remotely, and and um, that takes out the you know the hassle of having to submit a meter reading. And then the other benefit as well is that because it can. Uh, communicate with your supplier it can give you lots of insights into your energy usage so if you have a smart meter and you can sense your data being shared um, you can get lots of like I said insights into when you're using your electricity how what appliances are using the most and that should in theory allow you to reduce your bills slightly I'm not going to lie to people and say that there's you know hundreds of euro to be saved mm. but it will allow you to reduce your bills slightly and take a little bit of pressure off the grid and of course do you a little bit for the environment as well so I, I understand that you know that all sounds fantastic and it sounds very beneficial I can understand where Sork is coming from with her suspicion in that my instinct is why are companies making it easier for me to save money and you know not to be handing over guesstimate bills to them what's their incentive here no, I, I get that. and But really, this has been rolled out by the government. But I, I get that point. It's quite rare for, you know, your broadband provider or your phone provider or your TV provider to try and help you to save money. But I suppose at the same time, you know, sometimes your broadband provider or your TV provider, uh, you know, might chat with you about what are the best channels. Certainly when you're signing up, you know, for a phone package, you might be asking, you know, do you make certain type of calls or do you want weekend calls? It's a little bit similar 
with electricity meters in that, you know, we want to take pressure off the grid and we need to use less electricity and do a little bit for the environment. And smart meters are potentially able to, to do that by encouraging people to move their usage to times when electricity is less expensive to produce. So with smart meters, you can sign up to these things, for example, called smart tariffs. And maybe this is where your caller is a little bit suspicious as well. So with a smart tariff, for example, you can be charged lots of different um, prices for your electricity throughout the day. Some of those can be really, really cheap. Some of them can be a little bit more expensive. But you might, for example, with the smart tariff, be able to get free electricity at the weekend or really, really cheap electricity at night. If you have an electric vehicle between the hours of maybe, you know, two and four, you could get a super cheap rate because at the moment, unless someone has a night saver meter, pretty much everyone gets charged the same price for their electricity, maybe 25 cent, 30 cent per kilowatt hour. And it really doesn't change. Whereas now with the smart meter, it can be charged lots of different prices. And as long as you're able to move your usage to those times when electricity is cheaper and it's cheaper for you on your plan, you can save money that way as well. But I think, you know, all of us have a an objective you know with, with climate change obviously there's an energy crisis at the moment mm. it is in suppliers interests as well to get us to use uh, you know less electricity to reduce some you know pressure on the grid and to do what, that, that little bit for the environment as well which i accept and i appreciate but at a time when thousands of people are still working from home you kind of don't have the luxury of just using electricity at certain times and so on so you're going to be penalized if you embrace a smart reader and if you haven't to use all your electricity between, say, 9 and 6 p.m.? Yeah, no, that's a good question. And the thing about smart meters is that before you sign up to a smart tariff, because most of the time when you sign up to a smart tariff, Jess, you can't go back. Okay, now you can activate the smart meter, but if you actually sign up for a smart tariff, you can't then go back to a regular tariff where you're charged the same price uh, for 24 hours. But, but you're right, you do need to know when, how and why you're using your electricity before you sign up to one of these tariffs. So, for example, um, electric. Ireland and Borgosh Energy have smart tariffs that provide free electricity at certain stages over the weekend. Now, the flip side is that you can be charged quite a high price for electricity between maybe 5 and 7 p.m. Monday to Friday. Now, you might say, oh my God, that's absolutely great, free electricity. I'm going to do all my washing, all my cooking, everything on Saturday. But you might actually realize that you don't actually really use as much electricity as you thought on a Saturday and you could sign up to the wrong plan. So, it's important people know how and why they're using their, their energy. And, and just quickly, you know, I can't comment for all their suppliers, but certainly with Electric Ireland, what they do is if you get a smart meter and you activate the smart meter, you can share your data with Electric Ireland for a few months. So you can turn on the smart meter. And after a few months, Electric Ireland, in discussion will you, with you, will talk through your energy usage and they'll be able to recommend a plan for you so that you're not going in blind as it were uh, and then also even if you sign up just for let's say you know a two-year deal or a one-year deal with Electric Ireland uh, you have the ability to maybe change tariff uh, a different type of tariff uh, within that so that you're not necessarily stuck in a plan that's, that's wrong for you now other suppliers might do that as well so that's the right way to do it and if you do it that way 
I do think people can reduce their bills and reduce their consumption, but you do need, and I can't overemphasize this enough, you do need to make sure that you don't jump in blind, that you just don't sign up to a tariff thinking you're going to save money. Because as you said, you know, people may have no choice but to use their electricity between 5 and 7 p.m. And, and with some of these smart tariffs, you know, there is a premium for the electricity, the electricity that you use at those hours. And is there, and I am useless with this, and I know you'll absolutely hate me when I say this, but like I am not the kind of person that looks at my bills or looks at my usage or I couldn't tell you any of it, which is a really bad way to be. So if, if I was to move to one of these tariffs, what should I be looking out for? Or is there a way to, is there like a, a foolproof guide to make sure that you're not getting screwed over? Well, you see, the thing is, you probably don't look at your bills because before smart tariffs, there was nothing really on the bill, Jess. You were just told this is how many units you use, which meant nothing to most people. And this is how much you owe. Whereas with smart meters and smart tariffs, your bills can become smart as well. So when you receive your bill in the post or online, it'll have lots more information and data and usage as to what you're using, how and why. And I think it'll make understanding your usage a lot easier easier because with smart meters as well they're intelligent enough to know what appliances are using the most electricity so your supplier or at least most of them because all suppliers are embracing smart meters and smart tariffs in a slightly different way but when you sign up to a smart tariff they'll ask you a few basic questions you know how many people live in the home is in an apartment and they might ask you about one or two appliances but after that it'll be intelligent enough to know by looking at when your you know your usage goes up and down as to what's driving your energy usage and as to what actually actually costing you the most amount of money so you know theoretically you could after a few weeks be able to ring up your supplier and say hang on you know uh, what's costing me the most amount of money and they'll be able to say well actually it's the electric shower between this time it's the washing machine between this time so we'll all get a little bit more smart as it were to excuse the pun around our our usage so i think you know, at the moment, you know, like I said at the start, we have smart homes. We're all about smart homes. It makes sense that we would start thinking about smart electricity and smart energy. And that's what smart meters and smart tariffs allow us to do. So it should make things easier for you, Jess, to understand electricity a bit more, even though it's not the most exciting of things, and to, you know, reduce your usage uh, to, to, to other times when, it's, when the electricity is, is less expensive. Because, um, as, as I said, you know, you definitely don't want to jump in blind, but with some suppliers, they will chat to you before you sign up for the smart tariff uh, and I think that is key you don't just want to sign up and say oh yeah you know I'll, I'll go for the tariff that offers me free electricity at the weekend if you don't know whether you're using electricity at the weekend you know that may not be the plan for you mm. and I know you guys always encourage people to kind of shop around and to move providers and so on so you can save money is this going to be like will this level the playing field or will there still be disparities between what one provider will offer and what another one will offer when it comes to smart metering no there'll still be differences with the way the energy market works it's no different to other sectors where you know the suppliers always compete aggressively for new business so there's always discounts on offer for the first year to people who switch some of those discounts can be up to maybe 30 or 40 percent so they can absolutely help people save that's not going to change so there'll absolutely still be savings on the table for people who switch supplier 
suppliers will also compete um, based on the type of tariff. So like I said, some suppliers offer free electricity at the weekend. Maybe others might, you know, offer free electricity on maybe one day during the week if you switch for the first year. So there'll still be lots of competition and, um, you know, lots of deals available for people to to, to switch. Um, So I think, you know, that's not going to change and and that will be good. at the moment with the tariffs, some of them are still, you know, relatively basic. So there's usually a peak tariff between five and seven. There's an off-peak tariff and then there's a night tariff between maybe around 11 and eight. But theoretically going forward, yes, you could have lots of different tariffs and, you know, your your electricity could almost change by the hour. Now, the price could change by the hour. Now, that might kind of be a little bit too much for some people mm. but as we start getting smart bills and we start understanding how we're using our electricity and um, you know that that won't maybe kind of i suppose shock us as much or worry us as much um and you know i i think yeah it'll be a good thing for people to just understand how they use their energy um, and which should ultimately allow people to to save on their bills and of course you know the ultimate aim i suppose is is for us all to use less energy around the home yeah, absolutely. Uh, do you know, is there a cost of getting a smart meter? Is it something you have to apply for or what way is the rollout happening? No, so the rollout is being managed by ESB networks. So there is no cost. Now, we all pay costs within our bills for the upkeep and management of the network. So that's been factored in. So it is, I suppose it's been estimated that the entire cost of rolling out smart meters will be around just over 1 billion euro, but you're not going to get, you know, a bill in the post just to say you've been charged. Mm-hmm. It's all, you know, it's factored into the, the price that we pay for electricity as it were. Um, and if you, most smart meters will be installed before the end of 2024. And um, so you don't need to necessarily ring up and ask for one. Uh, and as I said, it's being managed by ESP networks. It's not being managed by your supplier. Um, so, so they're the ones that are doing it. The installation is very, very quick. It only takes maybe around half an hour. You'll be written out to before they come to your home. So you'll get lots of, you know, notice. And and like I said, it, it's very, very quick and simple. You do have a choice of whether though you want to activate the smart meter. So for example, around 750,000 smart meters have been installed at the moment around Ireland, but only around maybe 10% of those have been activated. So don't presume that if you get a smart meter installed that it's necessarily activated or online. You need to you know, give consent to your data being shared and for the smart meter to be activated. So that's just a watch out for people. And um, if you do, like I said, sign up for then a smart tariff, uh, you then can't go back to a normal tariff. So that's just some, you know, this is a watch out for people as well. The, the thing about consenting for your data and all the rest, is there anything to be apprehensive about? Like my cynical brain... And I, I, I'm not saying this is the way it is. It's just my cynical brain wonders. Say, for example, I have loads of tech devices in my house and I sign up to the smart meter and the smart meter then identifies that I've got so many devices I could be penalized on top of the cost or something like that. You know, it, it, there, there won't be any extra penalties based on your usage. You'll just be charged, right? Yeah, no, like, I mean, I would say to people, unless you're illegally mining Bitcoin or growing (laughs) something in in an attic that you shouldn't be growing, there's nothing for people to worry about. And and when I said as well that the system is intelligent enough to know what appliances you're using, that's just based on aggregate data. They're not going into your home. So, for example, if you turn on the electric shower, the electric shower is about nine kilowatts of electricity. It's a huge, huge jump in electricity usage. And it usually lasts a shower for, what, you know, five or six minutes. so when they see that go up for six minutes, that's how they know. So it's not like it's Big Brother watching you. But 
I hate to kind of keep reiterating it, but, you know, we're all about the smart home and we're all about smart appliances. Why wouldn't you want, in, in some ways, a smart electricity meter? Because I think when people start getting the smart bills in particular, because at the moment, like I said, you just get the bill and it's 500 euro and you might be saying to yourself, how in the hell did we spend 500 euro? And you might think, oh, maybe you leave the heat on too much, but you just don't know. Mm. Going forward, you can get these bills and it'll, it'll say, you know, Jess, this is why it's so hard. This is where you're using your electricity. This is the appliance that's costing you, you know, a lot to run. And then you could chat with your supplier as well around ways to maybe reduce your usage or go on a better plan. Because, like I said, it's flexibility that within the term of your contract, if you're on the wrong smart plan, your provider might say to you, "Listen, do you want to sign up to this deal instead?" And with Electric Ireland, and I just know because I was speaking to them recently, but I presume it's with the other suppliers as well. But every year, for example, Electric Ireland writes out to its customers now and says this is the plan you're on this is the smart plan you're on however based on last year's usage you actually would have saved money by moving to you know another plan would you like to move over so it does have the um the benefits to save people money even though i know that seems like a weird thing like we said it's very unusual for suppliers to want to save their customers money but you know we're all trying to do our bit for the environment but mm-hmm. um but but no i mean I, I really don't think that there's anything to worry about um it, 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 smart meters have been rolled out in several not several dozens of countries across europe we're almost the last country in europe to get us some countries such as italy are on their next generation of smart meters they've had them for about 15 years so that just goes to show you how far behind we are and in all those countries it's been a pretty you know it's been a pretty big success okay well i feel better now and uh, Sork, i hope that was helpful for you again if you have any further questions you can email tech talk at newstalk.com uh, dara cassidy of bonkers as always thanks so much for your wisdom you're welcome jess when we come back here on news talk anno d of silicon republic will tell us all about future human tech talk on News Talk. With VMware. Free your employees to work more securely from anywhere. Visit exertus.ie forward slash VMware. Welcome back to Tech Talk. This is Jess Kelly with you here on News Talk. Tech Talk at Newstalk.com. As ever, is the email address if you want to get in touch, or you'll find me on Twitter at Jess Kelly NT. I am delighted to be joined now by Anoji of Silicon Republic. And you're very welcome back to the show. Next week, you are bringing a ton of tech talent to Ireland for your latest live event. Uh, tell us all about it. Well, just it's lovely to be back talking to you again. It's been a while. So yeah, we're braving the in-person event scene. So we have Future Human coming back. Uh, it's actually next week, um, May 12th and 13th. We're running it in the, the brand new uh, Trinity Business School. And we have some fantastic speakers from all over the world. And it's going to be truly hybrid in that we've most of our speakers in person. And then we're dialing in other speakers from Singapore and the US and the UK, you name it. So we have an exciting mix of kind of, I suppose, industry leaders in science and tech, um, amazing founders like Des Trainer and Dee Coakley. Um, speakers from the US like Sharon Bosmek, we're going to be talking NFTs and Web3 and trying to demystify that for people with the likes of um, the head of digital at Time, uh, Brad Krish, and Kevin Abosh, the uh, crypto artist. 
Um, and they'll be joined by Laura from Gamify, Laura Walsh uh, from Singapore. So that's just a, an example of the kind of mad stuff we have going on next week. We're dead excited. Yeah, no, it's it's incredibly exciting that it's all coming together. And it is, as you said, they're the perfect mash of a hybrid. So there will be the people in Ireland and then people come, dialing in from around the world. When you sit down to curate something like this, you know, do you kind of put your finger on the pulse to see what people are interested in? Or do you try and pick and choose a mix of what you think people should be interested in and what you know people are interested in? That's a great question. And I'll be honest with you, it's a little bit of both. Mm -hmm. So one of the big things for us is to, I suppose, as um, people might not be aware, but so Future Human is run by Silicon Republic. And of course, Silicon Republic is daily covering everything that's happening in science and technology. So we do tend to have our finger on the pulse and then we spot kind of fascinating people during the year whether it's by interviewing them or meeting them at other events or I suppose just chatting to them on zoom uh, as we're doing now um, so a lot of it comes from that and then on the other side we pick things like the the vital link as an example between geopolitics and technology so we try and pick you know read current affairs sort of areas as well that we feel people need to know more about um, and then to that end as well, for example, we've got a fantastic panel um, from Ukraine. So, you know, we've, a, we've um, Yulia, who actually fled to Cork with her daughter. She's a digital advisor to the Ukrainian government, and she still is remotely. So she'll be on a panel and we'll be dialing in Konstantin from Kiev, and he is the head of the IT Association. So it's kind of about giving the Ukrainian digital and IT sector of voice at um, Future Human rather than talking about Ukraine. Mm. So so you'd see what I mean is that mix of, you know, picking, okay, what are the big things that people are talking about? And then what are the things we should be talking about and we need to know more about? Yeah, one of the things I'm always impressed by when it comes to you mentioned Silicon Republic there, this is a Silicon Republic event. And the other events that you've worked on in the past is that you are very good at identifying voices that should be heard and may not have been heard previously. How much, and this might be a stupid question, but how much time and effort goes into ensuring you're not just getting the speakers that are doing the speaker circuit, that you are identifying those people who deserve a platform and you know are worthy of having a platform? Yeah, again, I love that question, Jess. And and that's uh, there's a lot of work that goes into it. And the whole team, you know, sort of feed into it. And we keep an eye out for people, whether it be from a diverse background, whether it be from just, as you say, just a background that doesn't, you know, they're doers, executors, thinkers that aren't necessarily on the speaker circuit. Um, so it's about keeping an eye out for them all year. So we spend the entire year watching out for people who really should have a voice and that we know will be, you know, exciting for people to hear from. And then if we feel we're missing any towards the end, then we madly uh, root around and research around and chat to, you know, our network and, and kind of identify other people. But you're absolutely spot on. A big thing for us is, is to ensure that, these voices probably aren't being heard elsewhere. And so, so that is, I, I do think that's crucial and, and it's really valuable, I think, for people not to just see the same old faces over and over again. We tend to have, and you'd be well aware of this, just like we tend to have kind of sort of this, there might be 30 kind of idols of people out there. They all turn up at, at, at tech events. Mm-hmm. Um, I think we're a little bit different to that, to that and I'm kind of very proud of that. And I think the team is very proud of that. 
Yeah, it's something that, it, as I said, it, it always strikes me about anything that you guys do. It's just the voices that are less heard, but, you know, you almost kick yourself that you haven't heard of them before when you sit down and listen to them. Um, when, when you're reaching out to the, these people and, you know, you mentioned there you've got some big heavy hitters from the world of tech as well as the, the sort of new and fresh voices. When you reach out to them and you say that we're running an event in Ireland, do you get the sense that Ireland very much is on their radar and they see the value in speaking to Irish audiences? Yes, I think so. Now, I think if it was only an Irish audience, you know, they might switch off. I'll be entirely honest mm. with you. So the virtual audience for this is very important as well. So they know they're reaching people in Hong Kong and Singapore and the US as well. You know, I think, to be honest, I think if it was purely sort of parochial Irish, we may not be able to get them. But they're definitely, Dublin is on the radar. And a lot of them, you know, you talk about like we were talking to Eric Anderson, who's the president of Aon, and they have, um, you know, a big HQ here in, in Ireland as well. So like they'll be very aware. And in fact, they'll even travel to Dublin from time to time themselves. So I think um, I think they're very much on the radar, Dublin. which I'm delighted to say so it's probably easier calling them from Dublin than it is from other places in Europe I would say yeah absolutely in terms of building this and you are the the curator of this in terms of building it but also getting the word out there shouting about it because there are plenty of events out there there are plenty of you know forms where you can hear people speak and so on how do you capture the, the, the audience and who are you trying to capture as the audience for this be it in person or virtual yeah, I mean, it's it's never, I wouldn't say it's ever easy. Like, we, you know, we're not just a startup event and we're not just an industry event. So what we try to do is kind of, and to answer your question about audience, we're kind of looking to get people from business, from technology, from science, and we're trying to get them, you know, a mix of entrepreneurs and founders, uh, you know, industry leaders and academia, because to us, all those three need to be talking to each other. So the audience is nearly as important as the lineup. So, you know, that's not easy because that's a widespread of, of people to, to reach, I suppose. Uh, a huge amount of it happens organically. So thanks to Silicon Republic, like we have a very big following already of people who are interested in a lot of these areas. So a huge part of the marketing comes from Silicon Republic. Um, a lot of it through social media. We do a certain amount of advertising and marketing, but a lot of it is through organic network. And we we have a kind of a, a sort of an almost cult following that will always turn up. And then it's about bringing in new people every year. Um, so yeah, I wouldn't say it's absolutely a, a doddle. Marketing is expensive. We don't have huge um, budgets you know Ireland is an expensive place to run an event but it's also a fantastic place to run an event so it's it, it will continue to be our first choice I have to say. Yeah and that is important because th- there's been a number of events that have started here and gone elsewhere or started here and kind of dwindled away but you and your team you are very much great ambassadors for the tech scene here in Ireland and the broader like the thing that I always say to people is that I'm lucky that job my job is technology because everything falls on my desk, regardless of whether it's agriculture, education, whatever it is. I can blag my way into any conversation because I'm a tech reporter. But you guys are great ambassadors for that. And you open the doors to people who 
like I know Silicon Republic would have that cultish tech following, but you do open the doors to people who are intrigued by a certain topic and then kind of fall into the tech side of things as a result of what you guys put out there. Oh, I mean, thank you for saying that. And I mean, I hope we are. And, you know, you just put your finger on it really in that like there, there is no sector that isn't a technology sector now or a digital sector. So, you know, anybody who has an interest in the world Mm-hmm. who has an interest in communications, who has an interest in how we're going to live, you know, it has to be interested in innovation and in technology and in science. So, like, to me, I don't know anybody who wouldn't sit down at Future Human and be fascinated by what they hear, no matter what their background is. Um, so, yeah, I hope we're right about that. But that's that's how we feel. We feel everybody needs to know this stuff. This is going to affect everything they they do in their lives and their work and their business you you name it yeah uh, before i let you go i just wonder is there a particular trend that you're excited to hear about at future i know you've put this all together so you probably know what all inside out upside down and backwards <laughs> but is there a particular area that you're interested in at the moment because this is our bread and butter we're in this world the entire time but you know when you meet someone or you talk to something or you hear a little bit about a topic and you think geez i could actually sit back now and live or you know learn more about this and be very happy about it is there one in particular that you're dying to delve into oh god there's a few but climate change Mm -hmm. alice roberts cannot wait i'm a huge fan and i I just love her kind of thesis around the natural world the web3 and the nfts i'm really excited about that session you know it's so easy to write it off as a fad because you know some of the nft stuff has been so silly but there is actually a whole you know, potential industry out there around Web3 that if it's actually used properly should be enormous in the next 10 years. So uh, to me, that's a big trend that needs to be tackled without the hype. And that's what we're going to try and do. Okay, well, I will go to that because I am one of those ones that rolls my eyes to the skies at the moment when I hear conversations about it. So I will absolutely be paying attention to what is said in that regard. Uh, The event is called Future Human. It's taking place in Dublin on May 12th and 13th. But you can, of course, uh, watch it and follow it all online. Uh, And it's always a pleasure to talk to you. Thank you so much for joining us here on News Talk. Thanks so much, Yes, Talk to you soon. That was Anodi of Silicon Republic. When we come back here on News Talk, we'll hear about the Irish digital bank called Moneyjar. Tech Talk on News Talk with VMware. Free your employees to work more securely from anywhere. Visit exertus.ie forward slash VMware. We first created Snapchat as a new way to use the camera for self-expression and communication. From lenses to spectacles, there are so many ways to share your perspective. Today, we're taking the power and the magic of the snap camera, the spontaneity, the joy, and the freedom to new heights. A new camera to match the limitless potential of your imagination. Meet Pixie, the world's friendliest flying camera. It's a pocket-sized, free-flying sidekick for adventures big and small. Everything you need to capture the spontaneity and fun of the moment from new perspectives is right in the palm of your hand. With the simple tap of a button, Pixie takes flight and joins you on your journey. Pixie floats, orbits, and follows wherever you lead. Pixie is ready to fly at a moment's notice. There are no controllers, there's no complex setup. Simply set a flight path and let Pixie take it from there, floating above you as it captures photos and videos.
Yeah, that is Evan Spiegel, the CEO of Snap, the company behind Snapchat, talking through and unveiling the company's flying camera. It's essentially a palm-sized drone. Um, I'm not sure what I make of it. It kind of makes me a little bit uncomfortable. People were losing their minds over the Facebook glasses, the Ray-Ban stories. What do you make of a flying drony camera thing made by Snapchat? Uh, TechTalk at Newstalk.com for your emails or you can find me on Twitter at JessKellyNT. Now, over the years here on Newstalk, we've spoken about different banking options. We've covered things like Revolut and then 26. And now there's another platform on the scene. It's called Moneyjar. And Johan Revillard is the CTO of the company. Uh, Johan, you're very welcome to the show. Uh, tell us what exactly Moneyjar is. Sure can. Um, Moneyjar is an um, Irish local digital current account, meaning you, with an account with us, you can get your wages or salary paid in, manage your direct debits, standing orders, and your day-to-day financial activities. Um, it's literally, as a neobank, it's literally a digital current account. Um, we give you a free virtual card where you can activate Google and Apple Pay. If you want, you can also purchase a physical card if you should need that. Um, and we offer you to give, uh, make free peer-to-peer transfers to other friends and, and uh, people on the Moneyjar platform. And um, within short, in a short period of time, we're also launching cash loading and FX. Um, but effectively, a local Irish digital current account with an Irish IBAN. Can I ask what the the need or, or what, what purpose does it serve in terms of if somebody has a traditional bank account, why could mm. they or should they move to a money jar account? I think one of the things that we promote is responsible financial management. This is how money jar was born out of the necessity to how can I be better with money? How can I lead a healthy and responsible financial life while at the same time having the convenience of digital banking uh, without the need to say today if you want to move to another traditional bank you might have to wait for 12 weeks to get an account approved if they don't like your profile you might not get the account at all And with money jar we welcome you regardless and i think that's one of the core benefits uh, it's seamless and easy convenient while obviously a secure platform um, and in an environment that where we promote healthy, responsible financial management. And so does that mean this is very much aimed at younger consumers who maybe are of college going age, if not younger, and are starting out on their financial management? Or is it open to anybody who kind of wants to reimagine how banking is done? I think I would say that it, it, it we, we want all, we, we address all those markets, both young ones that are getting their first bank account to see how does it work to handle money? How can I be better with money working with it? But even grown-ups and people that have day-to-day, um, you know, finan- day-to-day financial life, we don't, the one thing that we don't do, we, we don't offer lending or credit at this stage. It might be something that we'd be looking at later on. But as a digital current account, we answer to all the needs that you may have in that area. Uh, so it's certainly an account for everyone. 
the um, I, I was reading up a, a good bit about uh, the company and the way it works. So customers mm. can get uh, a physical card, as you alluded to there. I think the charge for that is five euro. Um, and then there's also a monthly service fee of two ninety nine, and it's free for the first four months. Are there other fees as you go along? You know, I know with my traditional bank, I have quarterly fees and and so on, which I have to pay. Is that comparable to MoneyJar as well? Uh, to a degree. Uh, we, as you mentioned, we have the two ninety nine per month, and if you do want a physical card. Uh, we charge five euro for that. In addition, you have uh, transactional pay as a go fees. At an average, looking at numbers, this would amount to, at an average, roughly 450 a month in total, including the 299. So it's not a free account. Uh, no product is really free. Um, as the saying goes, if you don't pay for the product, you are the product. And we are quite transparent with fees and charges. Everything that we do, we put that up front. And it's, if you look on our website, it's one of the first elements that you see in our terms and conditions is what will it actually cost me? But at an average, it seems to average out at roughly 450 a month. Mm. Um, there's been a lot of talk about banking and how we manage our money and how we, you know, where we save our money and the accounts that we use for day-to-day banking. From a business point of view, from MoneyJar's business point of view, um, like looking at the Irish market, I assume you obviously identified there was a gap in the market for a service like this, even despite other digital bank players having pretty good infiltration in certain demographics in this country. Yeah, we, when we were looking at this, the, the original problem of how can I be better with money is universal, of course, and goes across all ages and, um, and all aspects of, of people in, the, in, our, in life. But we've seen that the need for a convenient, as I mentioned earlier, a convenient yet safe way of getting a bank account or getting a current account, a digital current account is strong across a number of sectors in, in Ireland. And this goes from people that just start out working, people that are coming into Ireland from the outside and people that are may, some even may be, you know, should say, uh, where traditional banks may be more hesitant to welcome them as customers. Uh, we see a need for, helping people along and that um, creates a niche for us. And of course, having a local Irish IBAN helps as well because of, even though there shouldn't be, there's still IBAN discrimination and due to legacy systems with, with certain organizations. So that helps as well. Mm. From a regulatory point of view, uh, anyone who's ever listened to the radio will have heard ads for ser- financial service providers and heard the three minute long T's and C's at the end of, you know, guaranteed, blah, 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 all that gibberish. Yeah. From MoneyJar's point of view, do you have all of those certifications and all that verification and all that backroom stuff that we, the consumer, shouldn't really care about, but we need to know exists? Yeah. So from that perspective, we are um, we are registered distributor of EML with the Central Bank of Ireland, and EML is the regulated entity. And with that, you could say that the payment services all um, uh, what's it called 
all these regulated services are done through EML and everything in terms of you managing your money is done through us. And what this means is that all the money is stored and ring fenced in a tier one state owned Irish bank. And that means that your money never leaves the country. Uh, we don't offer a bank guarantee as a traditional bank, but your money is protected, ring fenced in an Irish tier one bank and protected against creditors, et cetera, should anything happen to money jar or the regulated entity or the bank itself. So in summary, your money is safe and protected when banking were doing your, keeping your current account with, with, uh, with money jar. We've spoken a lot on this program about uh, digital mobile networks and one of the reasons why they're so affordable is because they don't offer an in-store presence and the customer service experience is slightly different. Is there a compromise on the customer service point of view when it comes to money jar or, you know, are services offered in a traditional way versus the traditional bank that you can go and visit in whatever town in Ireland you're in? I would say that we excel in customer care. Uh, we have more customer care agents per customer than what we've seen any other entity that we've been looking at. Uh, we have close to zero down waiting times. Uh, we address quest customer questions both on evenings and weekends and at night. And I think that the part one, part two consider is that MoneyJar is born out of the care and that also means that our customer support is top-notch, I would say. You know, if I get to say myself, and we often get compliments from customers in terms of how quickly and how, uh, should we say, how helpful we are with them. Uh, and it is one of these areas that we, when we looked at other uh, neobanks and players in the digital current account field, uh, where you sometimes have to wait for hours to get a response. And we, we first sat down, we said that this can never happen in money jar. You need to know that you're safe with us and you get a response and you get help from us when you need it. Mm. In terms of communicating the message to um, the, the audience that you, or the customer that you're, you're going after, is the focus that money management aspect to try and give people better understanding of where their money goes and why they spend money in certain ways and in certain stores? Is that the key message that you're getting out there? Um, there that is one of the important aspects, of course. Uh, we're And we are launching more and more tools every day. We already have a set of tools in the app to, to manage your money. But we're doing more of that. It's coming. Some of the things I can't mention right now. But we are all about healthy and responsible money management. And that is the, one of the key messages. We're also obviously about convenience and making sure that anyone can join Money Jar without delays. Within five minutes, you have an account with us. And for people who want to sign up, the, the website is moneyjar.ie and there's the app on the Android App Store and um, on the Apple iOS App Store as well. For people who do join, if they decide after a little while, you know, after that first free four months that they don't want to proceed, are there cancellation fees or anything like that? No. Should it be that you open up the MoneyJar account and you feel that, oh, this is not for me? We hope you won't. We, we believe that. The customers that join us, that they, they stay. And so far, we see very few people leaving, if any. 
But if you want to leave, you tried it, it wasn't your thing, it's two clicks from within the app and you have closed your account. There are no fees, no additional charges. You're free to go, so to speak, whenever you want to. Okay, so again, because that's a big bugbear of mine, certain service providers will make it so easy to sign up and then make it an absolute hassle to cancel, which is just not a good user experience. Yeah, no, I, I fully agree. And this is something that we've had from the very early days on that there is no minimum service time or no minimum contract time. It's literally, you pay us a go, we offer, we hope that the services that we offer are should say advantages to you enough so that you stay with us. But if you ever, for whatever reason, feel that I want to get out of this, it's literally two clicks from within the app. You don't even need to talk to us. But if you can, we will help you as well on that point. Brilliant stuff. Well, as I said, it's called Money Jar. You can go to moneyjar.ie for more information or download the app and uh, follow the steps there if you're interested. Uh, Johan, thank you so much for joining us here on News Talk. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. Yeah, that was Johan Reviard, the CTO of Money Jar. And that is all we have time for this week. If you missed any of the show, you can listen back in full on the News Talk app powered by GoLoud. John Friday's up next here on News Talk with Screen Time. I'll be back with Shane and Kier on Monday. In the meantime, enjoy the rest of your weekend.